welcome to Thriving as a Physician, the podcast that teaches you to thrive in your weight loss and life while juggling a packed physician schedule, because you deserve to thrive. Each week, I share sustainable, enjoyable tools that work in your busy life so that you can reach all of your goals faster with more confidence. Everything in this podcast is backed by my experience as an obesity medicine physician, years of coaching physicians on weight loss and eating, and my own personal weight loss journey. Let's get thriving. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 267 of the Thriving as a Physician podcast, How to Lose Weight and Love Your Life. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I am excited about today's topic. I have a special guest with me today, Dr. Matea Rentia, who is an obesity medicine physician as well as an internal medicine physician. And we are talking about weight bias. Now, this is an important topic that the more I do work around obesity medicine and with coaching on eating and weight, you see it everywhere. And I think it's such an important topic for us to have on an ongoing basis because weight bias is truly embedded into our world. So as physicians, there is a lot of weight bias that has been embedded into our medical training. But also as human beings living our life in a body that holds weight or with a brain that tends to overeat. I think it's really important to notice that we also have internal weight bias about our bodies, about what they should look like, what our eating should look like. And like many biases, it doesn't mean we have to get rid of it, but just being aware of it and having conversations about it can be very helpful. Noticing it when it shows up can be helpful. Labeling it. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcome back to the show, Matea. I'm super excited to have you here with me. And I'm really excited about the topic that we have planned for this episode. But can you go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody? Thank you so much for having me back. I absolutely love your podcast. Those of you who are not familiar with me, I'm Matea Rentia. I'm a board certified internal medicine and obesity medicine physician in the States, specifically Illinois and Indiana, if anyone's listening. And I have the Rentia Metabolic Clinic. I founded it over a year ago at this point, and I practice exclusively obesity medicine. It's a telehealth clinic and it's very full scope. So we will help everything from medications if someone wants to go a surgical route. And additionally, we do a lot of behavior work in there as well. So things like coaching, tools to really make this manageable for life. Because unfortunately, we know we've got tools, but we can't get rid of it, essentially. We have challenges with weight and things like that. Absolutely. That's the most important piece, right? Is like, how do we arm people with the tools where they can manage this for the rest of their life and feel successful in managing it, which I think ties into our topic today, where we're going to talk about weight bias, which it's interesting. I'm thinking back to like when I first started doing obesity medicine, and there is a little bit of talk about weight bias, but not huge. And honestly, I probably didn't really get it in the same way as, but once you've been in the field for a while, you see it everywhere. 
and you see it reflected back from patients and coaching clients about how they speak about their weight and their bodies and their eating and all those different layers. What about you? What's your experience been with it? It is so rampant. This is actually one of the reasons I started my own clinic because the clinic I was in, the staff, it was so horrible how they were talking about patients and the way in which they were blaming and shaming the patients and saying, oh, well, they're liars with the food they're saying they're eating. I mean, the comments I heard, it truly broke my heart. And so what I have seen for years is that patients internalize that. And I can include myself in that being a patient myself in this area. You really think, I just need to work harder. I'm not doing enough. And so you get really blamed and shamed. And we know from research nowadays that your ability to take care of yourself goes down when you do that. We know from looking at studies that the more that someone internalizes this internalized bias, that it's my fault and I did this to myself and I'm entirely responsible, their ability to actually make the changes that are necessary go greatly down. And so while it seems really helpful that it's sort of almost toted as, oh, I'm taking responsibility, you know, things like that. The reality is a lot of obesity management is out of our hands as far as genetically things are influencing it, things like that. And so that is something that I just find it's really heartbreaking when I get patients. And that's usually a lot of what we're working on at first is that everything's not your fault. What about you? How do you see it kind of show up? 100%. I think it shows up, especially if I'm thinking about physicians that I work with, because physicians also internalize this. And we can absolutely talk too about how our medical training had weight bias in it. And by going through medical training, we have weight bias, which then if we are a physician who tends to hold extra weight, we internalize that even more, especially when we're high achievers with low self-compassion, which is statistically <laughs> what physicians are. But yeah, when people come to me, I think the first way it shows up is the shame of even asking for help because part of that weight bias that that messaging we get in the world is we should have fixed this. And if you haven't fixed it, because don't you know all you need to do is just stop eating that stuff and just exercise some more. Like, why don't you just start running and you'll be fine is the messaging we get. And so when it hasn't worked, then people come almost with this shame of like, I've tried stuff and I can't do it, but I should have been able to do it. And I think it delays people reaching out for help in a huge way. 100%. And even the medical diagnoses that get missed as well, because everyone keeps thinking everything's related to weight. I was actually just talking to a patient earlier today, and they thought that if they lost weight, then all the energy would come back and they'd be feeling entirely different. And not everything's related to weight. But I've experienced this personally where I told myself, you should really be able to do this. You should be smarter than this. I mean, I've said all the things to myself, right? And it got to a place where I decided to go on an anti-obesity medication. And I said, look, you've been at this for years. You've really intentionally gone at it. This has not been a thing on the back burner. And then I said, okay, you're going to try for six more months. And if you're not able to continue to move the needle, you're going to get this help. And it was really life-changing. But the amount of self-compassion that I had to offer myself that this is a medical condition with me like anyone else, I can't fathom what other physicians and just everyone in general, what they're having to go through with so many years of diet culture that we've been put through. And I think that brings up to an interesting layer when we're talking about physicians is there's also this health bias layer. We have a bias thinking that because we are a physician, we should also be healthy. And I see it with physicians I care for in my practice where you don't want to get put on the antihypertensive. You view getting diabetes as something that you messed up with. 
like we have this exaggerated ownership of what our bodies do and don't do, I think it plays into this where it's hard to be compassionate with ourselves about medical conditions that aren't lifestyle related. And it's extra hard when we also roll in this weight bias to be compassionate with ourselves about weight and eating concerns. Yeah, I like how you said this exaggerated ownership. I never heard it said that way before, but I do think this is true. It's like we think we control everything and we should be able to use our brain to solve everything. And the brain sometimes doesn't solve the physiology, right? It's just a really great way that you put it. And I think it delays care. And I think that's another challenge. Then you have even heavier lift down the road because of delaying kind of getting the care that maybe other people would have sought out sooner. Absolutely. I think when a patient encounters somebody with obesity medicine background, hopefully they get quite supportive, compassionate care. But if a patient's presenting with concerns about their obesity and they've internalized this weight bias and they have a physician who also has weight bias because we all do, it's this combination where I think there's a lot of opportunity for patients and individuals to be harmed. And I'm sure you see this and hear stories about it. You mentioned it already, the one where everything's your weight. And I've seen it, both physicians and patients do this. Patients be like, everything's my weight, so I'm not going to even bother coming and asking about it anymore. But I've also seen it on the other side with the stories of, I went to the doctor and every single time I go, I just get told I should lose weight. And we see it in specialist consults. They just need to lose weight, I've told them. And the thing that really gets me, and this is, I think, why I do obesity medicine, is consults of like, oh, BMI is too high, can't operate on them, or they've got this chronic back pain and they need to lose 30 pounds, and then we'll see what's happening. And nobody ever actually says how to do it. You tell the patient, sorry, I'm not going to help you because of your weight, and then have a nice day. (laughs) I have my favorite story with this. So I have a patient, she's come on my podcast, so I can share this story So her cardiologist, so she was on multiple blood pressure medications. She said to the cardiologist, I'm going to go work with Dr. Antia. And the cardiologist said, okay, but I just wish you would do it naturally. And I was sitting there, (laughs) what's a statin? What's the blood pressure medication, right? And so wow, to put that on the patient as though this is your moral failing, right? Like you should be able to do it without a medication, without having to see Rentia. And yes, zero tools given ever or They might have one tool and think that's the hammer for every nail. Like if the doctor themselves has had success with intermittent fasting or maybe low carb or Mediterranean, whatever it is, then they think that's the answer for everyone. And everyone needs to do this just by this one book. And it's like, maybe they've tried that. Maybe that didn't work. There's such a problem. The thing that also gets me, and I want to have compassion too for all physicians. It is so tricky talking about weight. Even me being in this. Even me going to workshops and learning things and talking to people all day long. Like I was just thinking earlier in this episode, did I use the right language, right? Because I don't want to imply that size is a problem or that it necessarily leads to something bad. So I want to say that it's a spectrum. I wonder if it's a role, if you're a physician, that if you're interacting with a lot of patients that have this as a challenge, it might be really beneficial to your practice to learn how to talk about this in a way that is potentially not harming. And even when we try our best, we might still cause harm. And so I think that to me, it's, I used to have a hard time with this. How do I even bring up the conversation? How do I do these things? And I needed to learn. And that was even with me feeling like I am a good communicator with patients. It's a skill to learn how to have this talk because it's so front and center. No one else has their disease physically plastered on their body. And so that's something that's just hard to have a conversation. So I have compassion for the doctors that feel like they can't get it right either. I hear you as well. Like you're not oh, alone. Absolutely. 
And I think absolutely like compassion for all physicians, because really we were taught to be weight biased. I remember many teaching points and stuff that were essentially just weight biased, that it's their fault. Our billing system for years and years and years, I can go on about our system and the weight bias that still exists in it. But like if a physician was to talk to a patient about weight or eating or exercise and smoking, to be fair, too, we were not allowed to bill. That was private pay because it was not viewed as a medical condition. It was viewed as their choice. They're making a choice to be overweight. They're making a choice to smoke. And that's the system we we're all raised in. And I think absolutely, like I'm sure I, even with my best intentions, have hurt people's feelings with how I've talked about treating and managing obesity. I think it's something that will continue to evolve, just like in so many other areas of medicine, like when we think gender and pronouns and the way I would ask about somebody's sexual activity now is very different than how I was trained to do it in medical school. Because if I did it as the med school version, which was supposed to be progressive, I could potentially insult a lot of people. A hundred percent. And that's why I always say, you know, just like you, I make videos online and I talk online. One of the reasons I used to not want to is because I thought my thoughts and my opinions are going to change and the guidance is going to change. And then I thought, okay, but that's always going to be true, right? So it's like all these things are evolving. And in some capacity, are we staying connected to kind of the beat of what's happening? Because I think we know we're always moving forward in medicine and how we're thinking about things and talking about things. But I think some people right now, some physicians are not coming with the wave. They're not getting hip to what's happening. (laughs) And that's a challenge because I think, I'm just going to say the obesity medicine community. Okay, so if you have overweight or have obesity and this is something that you struggle with and you do want treatment, they're not willing to not get help anymore. They're wanting that help. And so I think nowadays, if you're a physician, you're not learning some of this stuff. It's a challenge because patients aren't willing for you to say the same ineffective stuff anymore. Yeah. You know, I think that's one really good thing, particularly with semaglutide and how it's like really exploded in patient awareness compared to like other anti-obesity medications. I think it's a really good thing in that I think patients for probably the first time actually come to the doctor with some hope. Like I definitely noticed that compared to for years, I didn't use semaglutide just because it wasn't covered for anybody and it wasn't talked about So that when you talked about it with a patient, the idea of investing that amount of money per month was like, why would I ever spend that much for this thing that is my fault that I should have fixed on my own, right? Like when we bring that weight bias back in. Now what I'm seeing is I think patients are coming with hope. They're often coming already aware of the medications and wondering if they would be a good fit for it or directly advocating and saying, I would like to go on this. I know people that it's worked really well for. And so I think that's really positive in that the patients are feeling more empowered in order to ask for what they need and to have hope that there is something that we can help them with. Because for years, there was nothing that we would do to help them. True story. I've never told this before, but I feel I'm far enough away from the job that this person might not hear the comment. I remember I was one of the first doctors on TikTok that was talking about a lot of these and like saying, look, this is the data and this is what can be used for and things like that. And I remember the organization that I was at, they were very against all the patients calling and asking and wanting this help. And so they made comments like those TikTok doctors, you know, these things going viral. And I remember sitting there because, of course, I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. And I was just sitting there. Yeah, I'm part of the problem. (laughs) I'm part of showing people you too, right? Like we're part of getting the message out that there are other ways, that there are options. And I just remember it was such bias that they would want help. Again, just saying, oh, they need to get into this six-week program that we have. You know, it's like, it's a dual approach potentially. But yeah, it just made me think of that. I'm so happy when people 
learn that there might be a tool and then you talk to your doctor, right? Like then you see, is this actually right for me or what might it mean? Maybe there's a reason it's not the right option for you, but just the fact that people know more about it. Absolutely. Let's, while we're on the role of medications, I would just want to talk about the weight bias that's being portrayed about semaglutide shortages because I think we're having it on both sides of the border. In Canada, the way it's being portrayed in the media, and I'd be interested to hear if it's at the same in the States, is basically all of these patients using semaglutide for weight are stealing it from people that are well-deserving because they have diabetes. It's this idea that the medical condition of a diabetes is more important and carries more urgency maybe than the medical condition of obesity, which isn't necessarily right. You could flip it around depending on the individual, right? Like what situations they're in. But what I'm seeing from my patient population is a lot of the patients are feeling almost embarrassed that they're on it. They're getting all this messaging that essentially it's saying you shouldn't be on it. You're not as deserving as these other people. It just drives me around the bend. Interestingly, the company that has these medications has also similar policies. And I've expressed my concerns about their weight bias policies because they will not give semaglutide samples to me because they've flagged me as somebody that does obesity care, even though I also do diabetes care and that they need to protect it for people with diabetes. In Canada, anyways, for diabetes, we have a lot more options. We can treat diabetes with a lot of different things. Let's talk about Um, that too, right? (laughs) In Canada, we do not have many options to treat obesity. We're much more limited than what you guys are. Essentially, we have the GLP-1s or Lestat, if you want to use that. And then we have the combination of bupropion and naltrexone. But we're limited. We don't have a lot of other options. And then we definitely don't have more effective options because, as you're aware, it's the most effective. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on what you're seeing about that messaging. I feel like I've been combating this for so long. It's still second nature. But I think whenever we pit one medical disease against another, it never ends well. And just like you said, if someone says, well, a patient that has diabetes is needing this more, not really. We have lots of medications that we can give for that to control the blood sugar. Now, is it maybe most optimal with the GLP-1? Because maybe you don't need the insulin and the other things that lead to weight gain or can help break some of that cycle And it's the same concern on the other side. And so I really always find instead of pitting patients against each other, why don't we turn to drug manufacturers and wonder, you know, there's a huge need for these medications. I mean, if you think about how many people, and I'll take U.S. numbers for a second, but if you look at how many are either overweight or classified as having obesity, it's almost seven out of 10 people could qualify for the meds, depending on how you're doing the numbers. And so when I think about it, Why is production not a top priority? Why are we not worrying about those things? Why are we always making the patients to blame? Like, haven't we done that long enough? I think now it's time for us to start to say, well, how can we get more of these effective tools? And I just always sit there and yeah, when you look at the drug companies, like they chose to increase the weight loss route of semaglutide and not the ozempic route. Like they were choosing to do certain things. And so these are all decisions that are being made There are many people that want these treatments, and I just don't think it's good to anymore pit people against each other. But I think the media does it because they want it to be sensationalized, right? They want a soundbite. They want something that is going to get you to listen, to click. Now, the thing I want to say that's amazing about these meds that people are starting to talk about, but it's like fascinating to me, how many industries are getting affected by 
less, I'll use the term junk food, but processed food, less people buying that plane saying, um, airline industry saying that they're going to be saving millions with fuel. I mean, the stories that are coming out, this is starting to show that people are actually getting treatment. They're spending less on food. Their shopping habits are changing. And it's kind of incredible what these medications are doing, all the areas of industry that they're affecting. Yeah, that's awesome. I hadn't actually heard that, which it's really neat to hear. Makes me wonder what those affected industries in the negative sense are going to do to try to combat. Go back to the science to make it more attractive to overcome the GLP-1. And so I want to come back around to like weight bias. And I'd like to talk specifically for the physicians listening who have struggled with weight or eating. How would they know that they have internalized weight bias? How might it be showing up for them? I'm going to say something that might sound shocking, but you go in the room, if you have weight bias, you assume that it's the best thing for that patient to lose weight, and that might not be true. So you don't know their history. You don't know what's going on. You don't know if they have a history with an eating disorder. You don't know any of it. So one of the first things I like to check is, do I have like a really strong feeling that there's urgency that I want them to get off weight, or I think it's a problem where they're at? So that's my first kind of like red flag? Do I think everything would get better if they would lose the weight? Because I think, again, like I know that a lot of us bring in, we heard from medical school, all these things are exacerbated with the weight. But again, maybe it's not possible for that person to lose weight, period, lose the amount of weight that you think. Maybe not everything that's coming in is related to that. So if you're always anchored and weight is the problem, you might miss conditions, you might treat the patient differently. It's really at the heart of everything. How do you think about it, seeing if you think that people have it or not? Because I think it can be in absolutely everything. Like we can cut the visit short because we get frustrated. I mean, it can show up in so many things. Well, it's kind of the idea, like when we're going in with an agenda, you need to lose weight. Losing weight is a very multifactorial thing for people to do. And there's a lot of different things in their life that will influence their ability to do that. I think it changes the dynamic in the visit and it changes how we experience it. And we're probably actually not going to enjoy the visit, but it's also going to change the patient experience too. And I think similarly, it's really easy for physicians, again, thinking like, how do we carry this as physicians for ourselves to have the same idea of like the most common one I see with physicians is being really attached to BMI because it's something so familiar, but in their own lives and being like, I just need to be in a normal BMI range when that doesn't actually directly have any evidence for health outcomes or anything like that. But it's that idea that as a physician, I should be in the normal range. I shouldn't be in these ranges that we think have fault attached to them. I like that. I've not heard of that said in that way before, the fault attached with them. I think the biggest thing is no matter where you're starting, because again, we could never stop learning and getting better at this. My biggest thing is for patients to just ask consent. There are very few other areas where we broach topics and we don't ask for consent. And so even when people are coming to me in my Rentia Metabolic Clinic, I still say, is it okay if we talk about your weight? Is it okay if we talk about the numbers? Is it okay if I talk about your weight history? How do you feel about your weight? I still ask for consent because it is fragile, yet we've been like railroading over it for so long. We forget that it's actually a person in front of us and there are feelings attached to this. So I think if you're someone that's listening, you're thinking, okay, this is a great conversation, but what do I do with this? If you just start with asking the patient consent, that's a whole nother land that likely has never been entered by another physician. And so I think you can get really far doing that. 
Absolutely. And two, recognizing the whole conversation doesn't have to happen in one visit, especially when you're trying to sort out, is there a past history of an eating disorder? Is there active binge eating disorder? What are the actual true barriers? I think the other thing that I think is very helpful when I'm teaching this to residents and stuff is we have to walk in and if we think we need to broach or we think it's beneficial to the patient to broach the topic of weight or ask their permission to, I think we also have to come with the assumption that they are already trying, that they have been doing things. And this is a place where from patients, I see a lot of harm happen. And I also see it in my physician coaching clients in that we minimize the effort we're actually putting in. Often we're trying really hard. And I know I was like those years that I was struggling and I was sitting in the drive-thru. I was sitting in the drive-thru, but I was trying really hard. And the weight bias told me that was wrong and I was failing and I must be doing something wrong. When I learned to shift it and be like, this is here for a reason. I just have to figure it out. That's when I actually was able to start figuring out changes. What I was going to say about from the patient angle is I've heard So often from patients where like a patient who has obesity may have already lost weight and maybe actually feeling really good about weight loss when they walk in. And if you phrase it as, oh, you know, are you ready to do something about that weight? It totally demeans everything that they've done. If we can just honor their wisdom because they've walked that journey probably for a good portion of their life of what has worked, what have you liked, what didn't work, which I think is a really good question. What didn't you like? Where do you really hit barriers? Where do you get stuck? And really make it a patient-first conversation. I think it reduces the chance of us doing harm in our conversation with them. You're reminding me, because that's what I always say, never assume they're at the beginning of their journey, 100%. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like if you'd meet me on the street, you'd think, oh, she needs to get started. And I'm well on my way. <laughs> you know, been there. First of all, you have to get over that in your own head, but also helping patients with that. But the other thing, I love what you're saying, you know, what have you tried? What do you like? What do you don't? What do you not? And I always say, take what works and drop the rest. We don't need to villainize everything you've tried. You might love a little bit of a lower carb approach or doing some intermittent fasting. Like it might work well in your life. Can we just drop the label and see if it actually works for you for life in a lifestyle way. But yes, it's, you never know where people are at. I can't tell you how many patients I have that had bariatric surgery actually did pretty darn good, but now they have some food noise. They still want to go a little bit further. Now maybe we're at the kind of second leg of the journey. And so you just never know until you ask and be curious the answer because you don't know unless you know their history, you will not know. Yeah. And I think that brings up part of the weight bias we've all been raised in is we assume the end result is a classically skinny appearing body. And for a lot of us, we'll never have a classically skinny appearing body because that's just not what our bodies are. And it doesn't mean our bodies are less than. But so when we're viewing a patient and they may have been wildly successful in treatment of their obesity, But if they don't have a classically skinny body, it's still easy for our brains to assume that they need to do more work. And as we know, like from the evidence, you don't actually have to lose a lot to improve health outcomes. Small amounts make a big difference. And I think when patients hear that, and me myself as well, when I learned that, that was so encouraging. It's like, oh, this matters. Oh, I've already achieved the goal and I'm still going. And it's like, what if your body is not ever going to be what you think it should be. How can we move forward then? What other goals are here? What other things do you actually want to focus on that you do have control over? Because I think for far too long, we've thought that, wait, we just think, we decide a number, decided very arbitrary, right? Always picked out of some time in the past when maybe we felt happy or 
I always say prepubescent, like who even knows where we were at? Maybe we hadn't even had had a kid yet, all of that. And then we're like, that's the weight I'm going to get back to. Like, that's the cat I've had. And so I always say, what's your body capable of? What's good for you? What are your habits? You know, all the other things. That's where it really lines up for me. Yeah. And I think like to build on that too, it's often this arbitrary number and we're like, success only happens when I hit that number, which is then I actually just recorded a podcast episode about this, but with goals is then this goal becomes this thing that's just showing you you're not successful and our brains can move the number on us when we get close to them too. It does all sorts of fun stuff. But if we can be like, how do we do this journey and feel successful the whole way? And how can we appreciate our body how it is at the beginning of the journey, at the middle of the journey, at the end of the journey and love it. And I know this is a tough topic for some people about the idea of loving your body, even if you perceive it to be imperfect or not that ideal shape, but it's amazing. Bodies are amazing regardless of the shape and hating it doesn't help any of the journey. It doesn't help your life. It doesn't help anything other than make you feel like you've got a body worth hating. I was recently listening. I absolutely love Dr. Ali Novitsky. And she had a podcast about how do you actually feel in your body? So like if you were to throw out the scale for a minute, I think she called the episode like other ways to weigh or something. And she said zero out of 10, 10 is like the most amazing in the world. Zero is you hate yourself, roughly speaking. But how do you feel in your body? It was interesting. So I listened to that episode and I thought, how do I actually feel? Okay, I've been doing all this walking. I'm starting some strength training. You know, I'm loving all this other stuff. And I thought, I actually feel nine out of 10. That was incredible for me to just do that scale. And so it's like, those are the kind of things I want to move toward, like that I actually feel comfortable in my body, regardless of what the scale is saying, like you said, where maybe that's never achievable for me and maybe it never actually mattered. Maybe that shouldn't actually be the goal. So it's interesting. It takes time to play with it. If you're someone that's listening, like I think it takes a long time to move away from things you've been really socialized to believe. Yeah, I'm actually doing this work in my own life too, in that I'm trying to think when I last weighed myself. It's been quite a while and I've been really working on like, can I actually focus on the healthy behavior and the feeling I'm wanting to create in my life and in my days and in my body and not get so worked up about the number? I don't know about you, but being a physician, having lost weight and then talking openly about weight and eating, that little physician piece of our brain that also has weight bias to it, like is so quick to judge. And it's been part of my own journey of how do I be public and talk about my weight, talk about my eating and also recognize I continue to be an imperfect human being who at times makes food choices that are not healthy for me and don't help maintain my weight, but overall maintaining a weight over a long term because that's what it is. And so, but working on, can I not get so focused on that number, which truly doesn't actually mean anything and focus on the things that I'm actually thinking that that number creates in my life. And it's been interesting. It feels freer, even with all the work I'd done around scales and like not getting worked up about what the number of viewing it as data, not even feeling like I have to keep track of that number feels freer, especially because I do weight training and I know that my body is changing from strength. I like that you bring that up because I think that often what this makes me think of is that on social media, it's a highlight reel. And so this is part of the problem as well, right? Like you're seeing everyone's successful day and they're only sharing the good things. I'll give you an example. I'm in the middle of a blood sugar mastermind with some coaching clients and patients. And the day before I did the intro call, I had apple pie and I was like, oh my God, how could you have apple pie the day you're going into this? And I was like, 
But we're not saying never to have this stuff. We're talking about balancing it. We're talking about majority of the time. And it was just interesting for me to have that experience, like lay this down. This is not the goal right now. But we don't get out and scream that to the world, right? So yeah, it's just perfection is never the goal. It's about what actually feels good for you long-term, what you're doing. And that's hard to find what that is for you because it's different for everyone. And it'll change. Like I know you've been on your own weight journey for a long time and how I manage my eating, manage my weight, all those sorts of things. It's shifted and changed a lot when I think about over the years. Yeah. This is something too, I think you want the person you're working with to evolve and change over time. Like if you had met me five years ago, not the same physician I am right now. And I feel like every month or two, I learned something new. I changed something. It's evolving because I was just seeing something the other day where it's like, we don't possibly know that much about this area, right? And so if we keep learning stuff and kind of seeing new stuff that comes out. For me, it's a lot. What are my patients experiencing? You know, what are my trends am I seeing? How, you know, things like that. That stuff changes over time. And so just allow yourself to not be frustrated if maybe one doctor says something different than the next. They might know something different. Yeah, I think that's a really good point too. Can you let people know where to find you? Yeah, thank you so much. The best way to find me is my website. It's rentiaclinic.com. That's R-E-N-T-E-A. So I have on there a link to my podcast. It's the Obesity Guide with Matea Rentia, MD. And that's really about advocacy, education. I bring great guests like yourself on. And it's just a fun thing to listen to. If you're someone that you just want to learn more, there's really a variety of what's on there. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I think it's an important conversation that everybody needs to be having more of. Thank you so much. This was great. Thank you so much to Matea for coming on. Make sure you check her out. She's extremely active on TikTok and Instagram and has great reels there. Let us know what you think. Send us emails, DM us, info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca if you want to send us an email. Share this episode with other physicians. Because again, I think the discussion around weight bias in medicine that we may have towards our patients, but also have towards ourselves is a really, really important one. We will talk to you later. Have a fantastic day. Bye-bye.